morning. We're going to Leviticus chapter 23, Matthew chapter 13, and Acts chapter 2. Postponed finishing our series on prayer till next weekend. That's what I feel like the Lord wants us to do today. Wonderful time with brother and sister Sham while they were here. Wonderful ministry in the church on Sunday and to listen to Sister Sham's testimonies on the Wednesday nights. Just some wonderful experiences that they've had and great teaching to our leadership group in the seminar as well. Very blessed to have this couple. They're ministering in Canberra today. They'll be ministering in Melbourne next weekend then in Sydney the weekend after that. So keep them in your prayers. But Leviticus chapter 23 starting to read at verse 15. We also need Matthew 13 and Acts 2. Leviticus 23 and 15. It says, And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. We might more easily understand that as seven weeks, counting from the Sabbath day. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number fifty days. And you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. And you shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, one young bullock, two rams, they shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord with their meat offering and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. In Matthew chapter 13, just one verse in this chapter. Matthew 13 and 33. Another parable spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, or leaven, whatever you prefer, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Acts chapter 2. Verse 1. says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you wonderful presence that we feel in this place. Lord, we just pray, Lord, that as we minister this morning that you would anoint us, Lord, that you would speak that which is your desire, Lord, and that faith would stir in our hearts this morning, Lord, not just to believe in you, but also to receive that from you which is your will for us today, we pray. We ask you all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Today, as some of you are aware, is the date that, according to the calendar, 
They set aside as Pentecost Sunday. I don't think I've ever preached a Pentecost message on Pentecost Sunday before. Uh, not for any particular reason, but just as the dates for Easter are set differently every year, so also is the date for Pentecost Sunday. And we could talk about why that is, but that's for another time. But what is consistent about the dates of Easter and the dates of Pentecost Sunday is that regardless of when Easter is scheduled, Pentecost Sunday is always 50 days later. In fact, that's what the word Pentecost means. It comes from a Greek word which means 50 or 50th. And uh, the Jews, as most of us would realize in the Old Testament, did not speak Greek. So this idea of Pentecost was not originally from the Jews, but the corresponding date on their calendar is called the Feast of Harvest. And if you look into the Old Testament, you will see that when the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, that he established with them a calendar that was unique to them. Nobody else used their calendar. It was the Jewish calendar, still known as that today, as far as I'm aware. And on that calendar, after a little while, the Lord gave them particular dates. And there were particular celebrations that took place on those particular dates. One of the first and the most significant possibly in the Jewish calendar is the Passover, which is celebrating when they were delivered from Egypt. And then you can follow those different feasts through and the different dates. And it seems that if you compare them with the seasons, there are four of them that fall in spring and three of them that fall in autumn. And there's a whole lot of meaning in that that's for another time. But in the in the Jewish calendar, they had this, this feast of harvest and as the name suggests, it's connected with the time of harvest and includes the worship of God for His provision, that God had blessed them with harvest and, and taking care of their needs again. But what is also significant about, and this is where it ties in with the idea of Pentecost, is that it is 50 days between when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea and when God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai. It's, an, it's, a, it's not an accident. It's things, these patterns exist in the Scripture to let us know that God is orchestrating what takes place. Not just a hand, you know, God didn't just take a handful of numbers and throw them down and go, well, we'll put this over here and that over there. But there are patterns. There are things in the Scripture that God says, this pattern will be reflected in another time, and, and you'll see that pattern throughout. And we, we've talked about that a little bit recently in our series on prayer of how in the Old Testament worship with this furniture, we had, a, we had an altar, a laver, and a holy place. Then we had a death, the burial, and a resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then we have the new birth of repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and being filled with the Holy Ghost. None of that is coincidence. In fact, what it should do to us is should underscore or affirm our faith that the Scripture is authored by the Lord that as the Spirit of God moved upon men of old, they wrote under that inspiration, not always comprehending what they wrote, but because God was the one that directed Moses and then He directed the prophets and then He directed the writers of the New Testament, it all works together seamlessly because God is its author. And so there is a reason why these dates, just perchance in man's eyes, seem to line up throughout the themes of the Scripture. Amen. And so God, prior to giving the law on Mount Sinai, had made a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who the Jews refer to as the patriarchs or the fathers of their nation. 
and he had made promises to those men. But at the giving of the law on this particular mountain, Israel enters into a covenant with God as a nation in a formal sense. It wasn't that before that he didn't know who they were, but there is a, there's a formalization of that covenant, that binding agreement between God and his people that takes place on Mount Sinai. And if you study the Old Testament law, you will see that it impacted every single part of their lives. There wasn't a lot that God didn't address, either in commandment or in principle. And it affected their worship. They were given a unique form of worship to approach God that was different from the nations around about them. Their God was different from the nations around about them. And the fact that He was one God, whereas they had a God for this and a God for that and a God for everything else. Aren't you glad that when you call on the name of Jesus, you don't have to look through a catalog to see which God should I pray to for which situation? If, if, if I, you know, what, what do I need for my job? What do I need for my health? What do I need for my family? What do I need for this or that? Everything can be addressed to Him. And I'm glad about that this morning. The Jews, you read about it in the Old Testament, there's, there's a place where when their enemy comes against them and the Lord gives the, the Jews victory, the enemy's thinking is limited to their idols and they think, well, their God must be a God of this place, so we'll fight them in this place. And what do you know? They lose the battle in that place as well. Because they don't comprehend that the God of Israel, who is also our God, is the God of all things. And so that there is nowhere that He cannot give us the victory. Amen. But the the law, that covenant relationship that they entered into affected their families, their work, their worship, even the things they ate, the things they did do, the things they did not do. It was very specific. Amen. And it was a new beginning for a people that had previously been in slavery. They had previously been in bondage and in slavery and in Egypt. And they had been there for 400 years. And so when they crossed the Red Sea and they saw the Egyptian army destroyed behind them, in Exodus chapter 15, it tells us that Moses began to sing. Now, I don't know if he had a good voice or not. I don't think he cared. He was so happy about what he'd just seen happen, what God had done for them miraculously. It didn't matter if he was off key. He began to sing, and he said, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Amen. And then his oldest sister, Miriam, who was likely in her early 90s at this point. I don't know that there's anybody here 90. You're hiding it well if you are. But this lady was in her early 90s, and the Bible says that she got a hold of a tambourine. Now, I've been in church long enough, Brother Paul. You remember when people used to play the tambourine all the time. In our church growing up, it seemed like everybody had one. I'm not advocating a return to that. But she took a tambourine and she began to lead the women of Israel in singing and dancing. It says that she began and the ladies with her, there were possibly hundreds of thousands 
of ladies. Now, I don't know if they all had a tambourine, but they began to get with Miriam and they began to dance with her and to worship and to celebrate what God had done. You see, in that, in that crowd that left Egypt, not a single person knew anything else except slavery. 400 years. They were born in the house of slaves. They were slaves as soon as they were old enough to work. And when they had kids, their children were automatically slaves. There was no choice. That was who they were. But on that day, on that day, depending on what you read, there was anywhere between one and a half to four million people that in a matter of moments went from being generations of slaves to having freedom, to having liberty, to being delivered. Now, we, it's hard to comprehend. You see, that was, that was their mindset. They were slaves. When they woke up in the morning, they knew they were slaves. When they went to bed at night, they knew that somebody else governed their life and there was nothing they could do about it. But when God brought deliverance, when he parted the Red Sea in time for them to go across and then closed it up in time to destroy the Egyptian army, they, in a moment, they became aware that they'd been delivered, that they'd been set free. No wonder they danced. No wonder they sang. No wonder that old lady took that tambourine and began to serve the Lord begin to worship God, begin to lead those other ladies. You know, I don't think that had any songs pre-written. They were making them up as they went along. Whatever came to their mind, they started singing. They just begin to, whatever they could do to express what God had done. Moses, Moses wasn't sitting there the night before thinking, well, just in case I'm going to write a song, so I'm ready. He didn't do that. But when it happened, he began to sing. And he said, the Lord has triumphed gloriously. We see that same kind of joyful exuberance in the 126th Psalm when it, it's talking about how Israel had been in captivity in Babylon. Now, it wasn't for 400 years, but it was for still for a long time. But when the Lord turned that situation in the 126th Psalm, it says, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. We were like them that dream. It was beyond what we thought was possible. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. Amen. When they'd been in a situation that was hopeless. Amen. Amen. Our theme for 2018 is serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. And we need to be reminded of that because we sing and we dance and we shout because all of us were born slaves as well. All of us were born slaves to sin. Not to a natural nation, not to a country that's come and conquered us, but to the sin of our own carnal nature. But we dance and we sing and we worship for the same reason they did, that God has brought us out. That a situation that was impossible. We need to grasp that this morning. You could not save yourself. 
You could not take away your own sin. You were a slave to that. But he said, I can still part the waters. I can still provide a lamb whose blood will bring you deliverance that will cause judgment to pass over you and I can lead you into a promised land. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So it doesn't matter if you're a young person or you're getting up to Miriam's territory. When you think about what he's done, there ought to be something in you that says, I need to worship him. I need to praise him. I need to give him glory because he brought me out. We sang that old hymn this morning that said, Once like a bird in prison, I dwelt. There's a parallel in the book of Psalms where it says, My soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowler. In other words, I was trapped in the hunter's trap and I could not get out. But he said, The snare is broken and we are escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. My soul has escaped. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy, Lord Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Bless the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. When Israel crossed that Red Sea, a journey from Egypt to the promised land. They fought a lot of battles between Egypt and the promised land. But you know, it wasn't the battles that got them into trouble. What got Israel into trouble was when they forgot where they'd been delivered from and where they were going and began to look in the issue of the present. Have you brought us out here where there is no water to die? Were the graves in Egypt not good enough that you brought us out here in the wilderness to die? Very quickly forgetting the Red Sea and all the other miracles along the way when they forgot where they'd come from and where they were going, that's when they got into trouble. Well, the Shah ministered to us about hope last Sunday morning. And I was thinking about that. You know, the power of hope in a believer's life is a combination. It's a combination of where Jesus has brought us from and the promise of his return to take us home. And so what he's done for me in the past causes me to trust what he says will happen in the future. And what he's promised me for the future causes me to hang on to where he's brought me to. And it's that hope that I have in the present that helps us to keep our eyes on him. It's what he's done and what he's promised. That we hang on to in the right now. Because sometimes the right now is hard. 
Sometimes there is a battle in the right now. But if in the right now I have hope from what he's done and what he's yet to do, and I can bring those two together in the present, the battle is the Lord's and the victory is ours. Hallelujah. And when Israel took their eyes off God, began to complain and despair, their joy and their gladness evaporated in a moment's time. Hallelujah. God called them out of Egypt. He made them His people. And He said, you're not going to be like anybody else. You're going to be different from all the nations around about you. And if you look in the Middle East today, you'll still see that Israel is different from all the nations around about it. Now, as a nation... They've turned their back on God, and they're in a season where God has temporarily turned His back on them. But as a nation, they're still different from the rest of the world all around them. Amen. Every part of who you are, He said to Israel, is going to be changed because of the covenant that I made with you. In Leviticus, in our text, and some of you have heard me teach this before, some of you haven't, But what is unique about the Feast of Harvest in our text is that in all the other feasts, you know, there is even instructions when they're having a feast about what they're allowed to eat. Imagine if, you know, later in the year we're having a church picnic. I think it's about October. If I said to you now, when you come to the picnic on Saturday, you're only allowed to eat this. Or you can't have that. No, you'd be like, seriously? Probably not coming to the picnic. But the Lord was very specific and there was a reason. And in in nearly all of the feasts in the Old Testament, the instruction was that they were to eat unleavened bread, bread without yeast. Because the, the leaven was often a sign of corruption. You get to the New Testament, Jesus said, beware the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. And so often it, it has a negative context to it. But then we also, what we, what we read in Leviticus in this feast is that there are two loaves that are to be made with yeast or with leaven. I could be wrong, but I think it's the only feast in the Jewish calendar where this instruction is given. I didn't check that. I ran out of time this morning. But then when we get to Matthew 13 where we read, the Lord said, Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. Now, I've heard it said by preachers that leaven is always negative in the Scripture. I disagree. I would suggest that leaven is nearly always negative in the Scripture. But when Jesus said that it's like the kingdom of heaven, it's pretty hard to take that and find a negative application. But he said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal. She made a bread dough, we would say, until the whole was leavened. You see, leaven is alive. It's a living thing. It's, it's something that when you add it to something, it affects every part. And those of you that have ever tried to make bread or anything to do with yeast know that when you mix it in, you don't get this half over here has yeast in it and this half over here doesn't. But it spreads. It permeates through the whole thing. It affects every part. And here's the other thing about leaven. When you add it to, to, to a dough, you can't fake it. If I make bread, and some of you know this is my trade, so I could go on for hours till you fall asleep, but 
If you make a bread dough and you take flour and water and salt and whatever else you might want to put in there, but no yeast, you mix it up, you make it until it's all nice and smooth, you roll it up into the shape you want, and you drop that thing in a bread tin, you can sit there and watch that till you die. It ain't moving. It's just a lump of nothing. You can put it in the oven. You can bake it. But when it comes out, I'd like to see you try and eat it. You're better off making a few more and building a wall. Because it's basically a flour brick. You can't fake it. It's either there or it isn't. But here's the other thing about leaven. If it's in there, you can't hide it. Because it's alive. And it's affecting the whole lump. And it doesn't matter what you try to do. There are ways you can kill it, but short of killing the leaven, you can't hide. It's going to rise. It's going to be active and alive and to stir. It's something, it, it has a life source. And Jesus said, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. If you add it to something that is lifeless, that which is lifeless will come alive again. Amen. That's why Paul said to the Romans, if the spirit of him that raised Christ from the dead dwell also in you, it shall quicken or make alive your mortal bodies. So that tells me that when we are filled with the Holy Ghost, there is a life source that God imparts to us that is the same power that brought resurrection to the body of Jesus Christ, that if it is alive in me, I can't fake it and I can't hide it because it's going to affect me. It's going to have an impact in my life and it's going to affect every part. You see, you can fake it for a little while. And you may even convince a few people. You read the story of the Old Testament. Moses gets the instructions from God, charges it. We didn't charge him. He was probably a little bit nervous. Goes in before Pharaoh. And the Lord says, here's a few miraculous things I'm going to give you to demonstrate that I'm with you. Moses goes in there with his rod, throws it on the ground. It turns into a snake. And they're all, whoa. But then there's these magicians, witch doctors that Pharaoh has. And they come out, and they've got some sticks that turn into snakes as well. But then Moses' snake eats their snakes and goes back to being a rod. There's a couple other things. They tried to stay in, up, keep up the pace with Moses, but eventually they had to put their hand up and say, we can't stay up with him. He has something we haven't got. And they yielded to the fact that the power that Moses had was greater than the power that they had. You see, sometimes leaven can be a little slow. But once it gets warmed up, can't stop that thing. Amen. You've heard me tell the story, and just for those of you that haven't, once when I was an apprentice, still mastering the art of trying to master the art of making bread, I made a bread dough, and my brain's not too good at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I think I thought that I left the, the yeast out of that bread dough. Some of you have heard this story a few times. And when I say a bread dough, I'm talking about 55 kilos of bread dough. Not two little hot cross buns, but 55 kilos. 
And I thought when I, I, I mixed it and I took it out of the mixer up onto the bench, and I thought, I felt it, and it felt dead, and I thought, I left the yeast out. What am I going to do? Because when it's fully mixed, you can't put it back in the mixer and put the yeast back in. It's too late. The only thing you can do with a dead dough that size is get rid of it. And so I took that 55-kilo white sticky monster, and I carried it out to the back of the bakery, and I put it in the wheelie bin. And I closed the lid. And went back inside and I made another bread dough. Made the bread and carried But as the sun came up and the warmth of dawn's rays shone on the wheelie bin, I found out that I actually did put yeast in the bread dough. And this 55 kilo living monster began to grow, lift up the lid of the wheelie bin and overflow. And all I could do was go out there and punch the air out of it and knock it back down into the bin, go back into work for half an hour and go back out again and punch the air because it kept coming. And I thank God that the garbo came before my boss did. So I don't know how it affected the garbage truck. But when it's in there, you cannot hide its power. And if it doesn't happen straight away, give a little time, kindle a little fire, build an altar, get it warm, and see what God will do. Hallelujah. Because it will permeate every part of your life. And it's interesting that when you read Galatians chapter 5, where it talks about the fruit of that spirit, part of that fruit is two things called peace and joy. And if you'll put those together, you can do that. You can serve the Lord with gladness. Regardless of what's happening in the day, because the fruit is growing from a source that is not in your natural environment, but it's in a spiritual environment. And so its growth is not dictated to by what's going on. Its growth is dictated by who it's growing from. And there is a big difference between the two. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm just wanting to challenge us this morning and remind us that our vision for our church is that this would be a church where the presence and the love of God and the power of God would be a part of every time that we get together. That each one of us would begin to say, this is not the church, but this is my church. Not that that means I get to say everything that happens but that it is mine and that I want to be responsible for what God wants me to do and wants me to be a part of. And that part of that is that inseparable from who we are would be our desire to see souls saved, to see the lost born again of water and spirit. And that we would have a vision not only for our church, but beyond our church, that we would train and raise up and develop people that can serve whether it's in the preaching or whether it's in any kind of ministry, we want to be able to do that, that we can make a difference in the kingdom. And that as this church grows, we want to be able to plant other churches across this city. That's what Bassendine is all about. Amen. And these, I believe these are all valuable things, and I believe they're all things that the Lord has given us, but none of this happens without the Holy Ghost. None of this happens without new life. Amen. And it's Pentecost Sunday this morning. I want you to turn with me back to the book of Acts, the second chapter. Acts, the second chapter. 
Sister Stanker, if I could maybe have you on the piano, please. I might need a couple of singers to help us with that chorus. Sister Emma, if you want to sort that out for me, whoever you like. I don't know it well enough, but I'll make a mess of it. So, to try to bring together our text that we started with, Leviticus, we've got a feast of harvest where uniquely they're told to make bread with leaven in it, bread that's had life added to it. Amen. We get to the gospel of Matthew, and Jesus said that's what the kingdom of heaven's like. He said it's, it's, it's like something that was dead and inanimate, having life added to it. And then when it's added, it just affects everything. It affects him. Then we get to Acts, the second chapter. And verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they're all with one accord in one place. The Old Testament Jews didn't know it as the day of Pentecost, but they knew that date because it was 50 days. And they knew that that was the day when when they worshipped God, they were supposed to use something that they didn't normally use. There was life that was added that was unique. I, I, I imagine those Old Testament believers didn't really understand why this feast was different with the bread. You know, what's interesting to me is that when the day of... It's, the Lord deliberately chose that day. And all of the preparation before that, leading up to... You know, they were praying there for days. It seems, and somebody said this recently took them a few days to get to that place where they were in one accord not just in one place but in one accord you imagine the first day they got to praying why did we choose this part of town it's dangerous I don't want to leave my car downstairs I don't like this place is an air condition who chose this for a prayer meeting there are people just like us but somewhere along the way those things became less and less important and tarrying for the promise of the father became their priority and as God would orchestrate it was on that day that things begin to come together and as we read earlier suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them tongues of fire it was like they could see an image of flames above their heads and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there's been a lot of views on this throughout the history of what's called Christianity. Some would say it was only for that to get the church kick-started off the ground. But you see, throughout the book of Acts, it happened again and again. And if you'll do a little research, you'll find that in the last 2,000 years, it's happened again and again and again. And if you lift your hand across this place, if it's happened to you this morning, you'll see it's happened again and again and again. It's the same promise. It's the same promise. Because when they're all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, it wasn't about language. It was about the Spirit of God having complete control of them and flowing through them. And the tongues was just God's way of 
demonstrating a sign. He could have done whatever he wanted. He could have made them levitate. He could have made them change blue. He could have done anything. But he chose that because he recognized that when your tongue is completely surrendered, everything is surrendered to him. And we see what happened. Their behavior was affected instantly. They stumbled and fell out of that upper room down that staircase, speaking in other tongues, not really having a clue what was going on, but they were absolutely amazed at how they were feeling. Because the leaven, the life that was part of the promise of God from way back in the book of Leviticus was added. You see, when they died to themselves, that's what it takes to get in one accord in one place. It takes the willingness to be repentant and broken before Him. And when, when, when we are genuinely dead before Him, He's able to add life. And He breathed upon His church and it exploded into new life. And they came down out of that upper room and by the end of the day there were thousands of people that had that experience. And days following there were thousands here and thousands there as this thing just exploded. As the Lord said, this promise is unto you and to your children. You know, when you get to the end of the chapter, verse 46, it says, They continuing daily with one accord, there it is again, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They didn't have a church building. This was all new. They were just working it out as the Holy Ghost was leading them. It says they did eat their meat two things it says they ate their meat with gladness singleness of heart that's where it's at serve the Lord with gladness singleness of heart don't be distracted don't be unsure or double minded make up your mind I want the life and the power that God wants me to have stand with me if you would this 